sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Our topic today, Christians against Christian nationalism. And our guest, Amanda Tyler, serves as executive director of the Baptist Joint Committee on Religious Liberty. Amanda, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Alan. Great to be here. Christians against Christian nationalism. Well, if Christians are against it, it must be something significant. Let's start by explaining to our listeners what is Christian nationalism. Well, I think it's a great place to start because it's a term that is becoming increasingly used, but I think still that's the number one question I get is how do you define Christian nationalism? So the working definition I'll offer is Christian nationalism is a cultural framework or political ideology that seeks to merge our identities as Americans and Christians. So Christian nationalism suggests that to be a true American, one must be Christian, as well as saying to be a real Christian, one must be American. And there's a lot else that goes into the definition. I think Christian nationalism relies heavily on a mythical founding of the United States as a Christian nation. And again, that needs a definition. Of course, the United States continues to be a majority Christian nation and that a majority of Americans continue to self-identify as Christian. Uh, but the idea of a Christian nation says that the United States was founded by Christians in order to give Christianity a privileged place in our government, in our society. And um, it also suggests that the founding of the country was providential in some way, that God has a special significance for the United States as a political entity in the world in a way to bring about uh, God's kingdom involves the United States as a political government. So all of that goes into this larger cultural framework of Christian nationalism. Now, you're the director of an organization that really is kind of a conglomeration, if you will, supported by a variety of Baptist groups. Uh, the oldest Baptist lobby, if I can use that term, representative in Washington, D.C., for many, many decades. Um, why is it that Baptists felt that Christian nationalism was of sufficient significance to spearhead this very public effort to shine a spotlight and say, no, this is not something that Christians should support. This is something we should be concerned about that we should be against. Right. So my the organization I lead, Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, or BJC for short, uh, we date our, our founding back to 1936. Uh, so for 84 years, we've been working in Washington to promote and defend religious freedom for all people. And so that's core to who we at BJC are, because that's core to what it means to be a Baptist, to support religious freedom for theological reasons, because we 
uh, belief that God created humans as free beings and need to have that free relationship with God without any kind of interference from the state. And so that's why all these different Baptist denominational groups have worked together for more than 80 years to support religious freedom and to support separation of church and state as the best way to protect that freedom, not just for Baptists, for people of all religious faiths and and creeds, and for those who don't claim a faith tradition at all. And so how that gets to Christian nationalism, you know, this, this is a topic that BJC has worked around for decades, but we really see Christian nationalism as a phenomenon on the rise, and one that's, I think, increasingly used in some ways in a way that confuses the religious freedom as a topic at all. You know, a lot of times now when people talk about religious freedom and the greater culture, they're really tapping on issues of religious privilege that really point more to uh, a trend toward this Christian nationalism ideology that I'm talking about. And so we felt a need to bring some clarity and understanding around the topic of Christian nationalism because we felt that would help bring clarity around the concept of religious freedom, which is core to what BJC does. So let me pick up on this. You use the terminology of privilege, and I'm looking at the statement here, and our listeners can simply Google Christians against Christian nationalism and find the statement very easily. Um, it says, Christian nationalism seeks to merge Christian and American identities, distorting both the Christian faith and America's constitutional democracy, Christian nationalism demands Christianity be privileged by the state. Obviously, it says many more things. Well, I think many of our listeners have been hearing for a long time, not from us, but hearing that far from being privileged, Christianity is being discriminated against by the state. Here we have your organization and the many different Christians that have signed on, myself included, arguing that the problem is not discrimination against the Christian faith, but privileging Christianity in some sense. Can you explain that, you know, how do you see that playing out in law, in government, in our society? Well, I think it's partly a matter of perspective. And and if the perspective is that you are discriminated against if you're given some kind of equal treatment, um, then that shows a different understanding, I think, than what the Constitution provides. The Constitution and the First Amendment, when it talks about Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, it set up a system that said the government would remain neutral when it comes to religion. It wouldn't advance any one religion over another, and it also wouldn't unnecessarily interfere with any person's practice of their religion. But I think we live in a reality in a place where Christianity, because it's been the practiced faith of the majority of Americans for an entire history, that it has been given kind of a de facto place of privilege in the United States in some ways. And so when we see attempts that to give an equal treatment, again, to all religions and an equal treatment between religion and non-religion, then that can feel like a loss of privilege and it can feel like discrimination. But it is it is actually to give equal treatment to Christianity is actually consistent with our constitutional documents and tradition. Now, 
it may be for many of us as Christians, the more important focus of this is not so much on politics or policy or even, you know, constitutional law, where you and I spend so much of our lives and thought. But the statement says that one of the problems of Christian nationalism is distorting the Christian faith. Right. And, you know, I wear a minister's hat as well as a lawyer's hat. And so speak to us for a minute. How do you see Christian nationalism distorting the Christian faith? Because that, as a preacher, that would be a huge concern to me, and it should be a concern to our listeners. Yeah, well, and I think that that is the concern that was really the motivating factor for the genesis of this campaign and also for the response that the campaign has gotten from the number of signers. This idea that Christianity has been changed, um, in some cases, you know, really um, very much changed because of it has been used and co-opted by the state for the state's aims. And I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, I think We've talked quite a bit in Christian nationalist campaign, particularly over the last few months, about its overlap with white supremacy and racial subjugation, um, how Christian nationalism is often white Christian nationalism, and the ways that the complicity in some ways of different churches and religious traditions in our history of slavery and Jim Crow in this country, in ways that the theology of a lot of our churches were used to justify a system in the United States of slavery. So that that's an example of how when in the hands of state actors, how a religion can be changed by it and distorted by it. Um, you know, when we think about the ultimate aims of government versus the ultimate aims of religion, including Christianity, they are not the same. Right. And so in, in those ways, the state will seek to domesticate religion in some ways to serve its political aims in ways that can really change the message of the gospel in the case of Christianity. You know, I have often said and I've posted frequently on Facebook about this, but I'll say it again for our listeners. When, you know, some of us who move broadly in circles that are not just within the Christian bubble, but with as I do in my legal work with civil rights activists and lawyers and secular people, their view of the church right now is very dim because, you know, we don't think of ourselves as racist. We don't think of ourselves as intolerant or hateful by no stretch. But that is increasingly how the church, especially the white evangelical church in America, is perceived these days because of our politics. And my fear, you know, far beyond who wins an election, which party is in power, which specific policies are enacted, my overarching concern is how we represent Jesus in our society. How do we present, you know, does Jesus come across as racist, as hostile, as discriminatory, as, you know, uh, bigoted, etc.? You know, do we present the Jesus friend of sinners or the Jesus who, you know, hates people who aren't like us? So to me, that's the bigger issue. And I think that for many Christians who primarily live and move within Christian circles, we're just not exposed to how other people are seeing us these days. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you brought Jesus into the conversation, Alan. I mean, I think when we think about Jesus's relationship to power and to the state, he was often, you know, on the he was executed by the state, you know, for his revolutionary ideas. And so when we have Christian nationalism is a lot about power and about the state, you know, using religion to hold on to its power and in some ways religion using the state to gain power. And I think that that is uh, a recipe for distancing ourselves from the heart of our religion in the way that Jesus showed kind of a different way, a bottom up way, not a top down way as approach to to life and to love. You know, when we have this discussion, Amanda, I'm thinking about Chuck Colson's one of his first books after Born Again. You know, after his Christian conversion and getting out of prison and all, he wrote a book called Kingdoms in Conflict. And one of the things that he wrote in that book was about how easily manipulated uh, clergy are by politicians, by the political process. And, you know, that is a warning that has stood with me for decades that I think we, you know, the church needs to, to remember. And, you know, when going back to what you were saying about Jesus, I think in Acts chapter 1, Jesus' disciples were sensing something momentous about to happen. And they thought that Jesus might be taking the throne, and they were excited at the prospects of sitting at the right hand and the left hand. But Jesus said, no, no, that's not going to happen. You're not going to get to sit at the right hand, but you're going to have a different kind of power. You're going to have the Holy Spirit. And to me, whenever the church seeks political power and you know it's it's a kind of a confession publicly that we've lost the power of the holy spirit which to me is is how we're really supposed to shape the moral and spiritual tone of of our culture is through the inherent spiritual power that comes from connecting with christ i'll stop preaching now but uh, (laughs) i guess we're out of time but christians against christian nationalism folks please check it out baptist joint committee bjconline.org amanda tyler executive director baptist joint committee thank you for being with us on freedom strength today oh thank you alan and as we close friends remember freedom is not free be informed get involved check us out on churchstate.org this has been freedom's ring i'm your host alan reinach until next week let freedom ring